we want to begin to notice a more seamless transition from the walking into the meditation hall and the sitting down and then the body coming into a relative stillness. So it doesn't feel like an abrupt, okay, now I'm starting my mindfulness practice, but it's part of a continuum. So what we were doing as we were walking in the hall and what the mind was doing as the body was getting into its sitting posture is not different than what the body and mind, or what the mind rather is doing once it settles into stillness. We're noticing the wholesome roots of interest, this non-delusion, the mind is interested in the way it is in the body and mind. So a sincere, alert interest in what's here and now, this body and mind. And this attitude of kindness to connect with the way it is any kind of aggressive or striving, forceful energy gets in the way. So instead, cultivating, remembering the possibility of the mind being receptive, how this receptivity supports interest In the same way, if you were to step into the woods and there were a lot of wild animals, birds, salamanders, other creatures you don't see often, the mind would naturally be very receptive, quiet, interested, gentle, careful not to cause harm. So this is the attitude we can bring to the body and mind. And a contentedness, a sense that the way the body is now and the way the mind is now, that it's okay, it's good enough. That mindfulness can learn from opening, connecting with the way it is, even when the body and the mind are like this now. So 
we have these three responsibilities as practitioners. First, to be mindfully aware of what's here and now. And because of training, the attention might first recognize the breath in the body or the more general experience of the body sitting, the predominant sensations of sitting. Or because of training, the attention might notice the sounds in the room, the sound of my voice. And the second responsibility is to practice sustaining or persevering with the changing stream of experiences of objects that come and go. And sometimes that might mean sustaining attention with the breath or body, but certainly not limited to any particular object of experience. And any time the mind gets caught up in thinking or lost in thinking process, this drama or that drama, at some point there will be a moment where the mind recognizes that thinking is happening. So appreciate that moment of mindfulness, that moment where the mind is mindfully aware that thinking is like this. And if there's attachment, then attachment, identification is like this. And you can redirect the attention to the body or to the breath, but you can also just simply notice what happens to the thinking process once it's recognized as something being known. Sustaining attention with what's predominant. Letting the objects of experience follow their natural course, coming and going. So our responsibilities to bring mindful awareness to what's here and now, to wake up and simply know it's like this. This is what the mind is doing now. This is how it is in the body. And then to sustain that mindful awareness. And then finally, The third responsibility is to check the attitude. 
what kind of energy, what kind of attitude is the mind using as it does these first two responsibilities. With a hard edge, then notice that. With a lazy indifference, then notice that. And notice how it is, like in terms of cause and effect. When the mind has a hard edge, its attitude is tight or striving. What does that set in motion? How is that experienced in the body and mind? mind is lazy or indifferent, bored, instead of judging that attitude, just notice what it sets in motion. When you check the attitude from time to time, you can remember right view. Just reminding the mind to see the coming and going of experience as a natural process. Any mental activity is a natural process unfolding. The activity of the body, of sound, sight, is a natural process unfolding. So we'll continue now in silence for a while.
See if you can notice <clears throat> that particular effort that supports a continuity of mindfulness. not so much a muscular effort, but more of a remembering. It's the continuity of mindfulness that causes the mind to become more steady and calm, peaceful, and causes the mind to become more clear, supporting insight. So be interested in the continuity of mindfulness and be interested in what gets in the way to notice that as well.
provide 10 minutes for questions. Anything comes to mind? One of the things, um, just in my years of practice that um, have co- has come to light is that interest, like everything, it, it arises lawfully. So it's just a question of what are the supporting conditions or what needs to be there for interest to arise in the mind. And one of the things I've noticed over the years is a lot of it has to do with what the mind is knowing. And a lot of times there's a sort of an expectation or an idea in the mind of what the mind should be paying attention to in the moment. And there's something when the mind, the knowing mind, actually connects with what is predominant. Sometimes we use that word predominant. But in a sense, it's, it's the object that's asking for attention. And remember, that object may not be the loudest, biggest object in the, in the room. So there may be pain in the knee, and you may be trying to be interested in the pain in the knee, but actually what might be more predominant, more relevant in terms of the practice is the not liking of the pain in the knee. And you might find, like I have, as soon as the mind, uh, the knowing mind, the mindful awareness, takes up the not liking of the pain, all of a sudden interest is there. The mind is actually interested in this experience of not liking, where a moment before it was not interested at all in another moment of noticing burning or twisting or aching or whatever that those painful sensations in the knee were. So one way to work with uh, interest is to uh, open the mind and, in a sense, ask what, what's asking for attention? What's presenting itself, subtle or gross, here and now? What's asking for attention? Where does the attention, the mindful awareness, what object does it want to naturally pick up, connect with, sustain with? That can help. Because if there's uh, this, it's really a thinking process of telling the mind what it should be paying attention to. It's like a child, you know, who's constantly being told by the parent what he or she should be doing. And uh, it's oppressive. And so we don't like it very much. We're not that interested in the practice. Instead of letting the experiences that, in a sense, want to be known, letting them sort of reveal or present themselves. And our job as a practitioner is to remember it might be subtle, those experiences might be subtle, and they may also be, like some experiences sort of are like pain, for example, or a sound. It's something that the uh, knowing mind can sort of locate. But other experiences don't have a location. They're, in a sense, everywhere equally. Like moods are like that. I'm feeling a little down. Now, where is that feeling of being a little down, that attitude or quality? It's sort of, in terms of 
this, it's a little bit everywhere. But that doesn't mean that it, it might be what's predominant. And when the mind knows that, there might be this, in a, what we could call coming alive in the practice. So that now there's energy in the mind to connect and sustain with what's coming and going. So that, uh, it just points to how, you know, with right effort, we, we like, you know, what we'd like in a superficial sense, we'd like just to be told what right effort is and then we just do it. But actually what right effort is, like how to bring up right effort, it requires the heart, the mind to be present because it's, not, it's only when we're present do we know how to practice. How to practice depends on the moment. And uh, we can be given instructions, but it's really up to us to bring those instructions alive in the moment, to understand it's a moment-to-moment process. And as soon as we're on automatic pilot, we're losing the practice. You know, and it won't be long before the energy leaves the mind and the mind will gravitate towards a, either an agitated state or more of a trance-like, sleepy, dull state. Um, and so that's, that's fine because that's so much of why we're here, to learn that dynamic where the mind is losing its balance. Balance usually we talk about in terms of being really bright and calm at the same time, interested and released, relaxed, trusting, accepting. So we need both of those qualities in order for mindful awareness to do the work of investigation, to see things as they are. So you could ask, like, uh, what's predominant? Or what else can be known in this moment? So you're inviting the mind to notice what it's not yet noticing in the present moment. And seeing that when the mind opens to that experience, see what kind of response or effect there is. Because I, I remember beating myself over the head. Uh, you know, I have a lot of that wanting to do it right energy, sort of programming in my personality. And so I just, you know, plowing ahead, working hard, but uh, not feeling alive in the practice, not feeling like I'm learning anything. And uh, I had, it's a, I had to let go of a lot of that energy and come to more of a place of humility, like, I can't, I can't do this practice. (laughs) You know, it's a natural process. And the knowing mind has to find the object in the moment. So we, in a sense, we have to get out of the way. And we let the objects that are predominant connect just as much, you know, the object is connecting with the knowing mind as the knowing mind is connecting with the object. They're meeting. The knowing mind is meeting the way it is. And uh, so if we have this conceptual idea, then that can encourage us to get out of the way and to trust. And some questions like, what else can be known? What's asking for attention? What's here but not being known, not being seen? What else is here? In the mind, in the body, And just that interest can help uh, develop interest. Keeping the eyes open. There are a lot of good reasons to practice with the eyes open uh, when you're sitting. 
So that can shift how the mind is. Because a lot of us, when we started meditation, I'm not sure it's true for you, but it was definitely true for me, I wanted tranquility. And so we have, I have this tendency in my mind, you know, get calm, <laughs> get peaceful. And uh, that's, there's nothing wrong with being calm and peaceful. But the work of meditation isn't just getting calm and peaceful. It's putting that calm mind to work to see things, to learn. Yeah. What well, has to do uh, partly, mostly, with how the mind is recognizing what that thought is. So to the degree the mind understands that the thought, and it won't be perfectly, this understanding won't be perfect, but understands it as a natural process instead of, you know, my thought or I'm talking to me, pay attention. So it really, how much space there is when that thought arises, whether the mind can investigate that thought as a natural process or how much wisdom is there. And uh, when that thought feels embedded in my story of my life, so it's really on that level of solving, figuring out something in terms of the story of my life, then it's not so useful. It doesn't mean that that clear, reflecting thinking isn't useful in life, it is, but that's not what the retreat's about or meditation practice is about. It's totally appropriate to put aside time to think through things in our lives and to bring a more relaxed, spacious thinking about what's going on in my life. But in terms of mindfulness practice, we want to, we always want to some degree right view to be present. And so right view in terms of thought is, well, it's just a thought. It's not so much about the content of the thought, but the thought is a, natural process of mind or a natural activity of mind that's coming and going. So to the degree that the mind has that perspective, that let that be the object of attention. Because then you can really see how the thoughts come and go, how thoughts are charged with different emotions, different attitudes, and how those attitudes affect how things unfold. And when the mind sees them clearly as just an attitude, then the mind is less caught. And when the mind doesn't, then it tends to have its effect, the attitude that charges the thought. So then we can do some good investigation. But it's, if, it's, if the thinking is just in terms of us understanding our life situation, then it's limited. Now we're gonna get caught in that kind of thinking off and on during the day, and that's just, the way it is, because it has a lot of momentum, wanting to figure out parts of our lives. Um, But we don't want to intentionally engage that. We want to be really kind, like, I understand you want to think about this situation in your life, but this isn't the time. So that's, that's the way you can, like if you notice your mind going back to it over and over again, you can discern what's underneath it, but at some point you just need to remind the mind that's not why we're here. We're not here to think through things. Although you may need to do that, but not now. Other questions? Yeah, in the back. You just said um, 
Right. And again, this is just part of the natural process of mindful awareness. So there's a thinking and we're not completely caught in the thinking because if we were, we can't practice. So assuming we're not completely caught, meaning the knowing mind knows that the mind is sticky with this content of thought, right? And then hopefully the question might arise, well, what's underneath this? It's just another way of, of the mind asking a question to help it see what might be predominant. And it might be, for example, an uneasiness in the heart, like the fact that whatever the story that you're thinking about is, the mind is uneasy about things not being settled or defined in your life. So like uh, an aversion to unsettledness or an aversion, aversion to uncertainty. So, but that might be relatively subtle compared to the content, what the mind is thinking. So just in the, the mind being aware of thinking and not being completely seduced by the content of the thoughts, then there's a chance the mind might notice what else is there or what's under, you know, we say what's underneath it. Oh, the heart, the mind is afraid. There's fear. It's just fear. Fear of things being unresolved. Well, that's like this now, isn't it? Can this be okay? So then that becomes the next moment of mindful awareness, knowing the subtle uncomfortableness with things being unresolved, not defined, not fixed. Didn't fix this thing in my life yet. Well, can that be okay? So now the mind isn't, isn't even attracted to the content because the content was just some uh, movement disguising what was really going on, which is the heart's uneasy about uncertainty, about things being undefined. So then you can look at that. But we want to be a little careful about like the, the way to see what's there is to be interested and not to, you know, it's this wisdom that knows that what the attention, where the attention first goes isn't necessarily what's really going on. It's just what the habit is. The mind thinks the content of the thoughts is what's most relevant. But there may be other things that are actually relevant, not so much in terms of the story, but in terms of here and now, what's going on. We need to leave it here. Uh, a couple of announcements. Uh, some um, supporters of Steve have donated some books from Saida Utejaniya. He's a well-known teacher, Steve and others have brought here to the West, taught at IMS several times now, next year at Spirit Rock in California. But in any case, um, we have some books to offer all the retreatants. Uh, we have 80-some um, copies of Don't Look Down on the Defilements. And uh, those will be put out probably on the shelf below the bulletin board. If you don't have a copy of that book, you can take that book and sometime today when they're there. If you already have that copy of the book, because we don't have 99 copies for everybody, we have another book by Saida that will be out. And so those who already have that book, don't look down on the, is it the Defilements? Yeah. Then you can take the other book, Dhamma Everywhere, um, that will also be out. And then if you get the first book, there's a section um, that's quite useful, The Right Attitudes for Meditation. It's on page 68 
through 71. So it's not a lot, but make sure to take a look at that. It's very pithy reminders about the basic attitude for practice. And again, you don't even need to read the whole list. There's 20 some um, attitudes that Saida points out, but you might just read a few and then work with them, let them enliven your practice. And then the next day read a few more. So to use the books, the book as medicine, you might just need a page, a paragraph. The way that Saida's writes, he's really pointing to how we work with the mind, how we understand the mind, pay attention to the mind. And so you don't need a lot of input, a lot of Dharma medicine, just little bits. And then uh, at four o'clock today, there will be movement downstairs again, right below. And make sure to check the board every day. Um, there sometimes are messages with your name on, you can find those notes. And then finally, we're asking everybody to attend the groups. It's just part of the routine at the center uh, with the retreat. And uh, yeah, it's just good practice. You know, we have a pretty loose structure, but it's nice to just invest in the structure. It's been well thought through. So uh, we encourage people just to stick with it. I think that's it. Have a good day of practice, everyone. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.